great. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 74 of Seize the Moment podcast. So today we have a super duper special guest. We have on Andrew Moffat, and Andrew is the host of the Heart of an Outlaw series of Powered by the O4L online network, where he interviews entertainers in the hip hop music industry, and where he interviews people in the film industry as well. He's also a music journalist writing for the O4L online network, having interviewed Angie Thomas, Risky Forever, and Johnny Carr. Welcome, Andy. Thank you so much for having us on. Well, so, uh, thank you so much for it. <laughs> For, for coming for on. coming on why did i say having us on i don't even know where that came it's a pleasure guys <laughs> that, <laughs> that's nerves so, so andy i wanted to ask you um how'd you get your start at o4l uh do you know what uh i'm a massive fan of tupac and the outlaws um and obviously on they've got the social media on the outlaws facebook page um i was pretty much on there pretty much 24 7 because I'm, I'm a huge fan so just one day uh i think it was late 2018 um i was late 2017 yeah late 2017 uh there was a status from on the outlaws facebook saying if you want to get involved in the o4l online which i pretty know i pretty much knew for the from back in the day from 2011 2012 which was o4l.com um you want to get involved drop us a message so pretty much dropped a message straight away um I got myself off to work. As soon as I come back, check my mailbox. I had a had a had an inbox from from the owner of the owner of the side Vegas. Uh, pretty much started from there. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. Imagine that. Like you're following the site forever, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, you want to work with us?" You actually reach out to them. They're like, "Hey, yeah, come work with us. Let's see where this goes." And it, it's interesting. Yeah. Of course. I mean, at first I, I was like a kind of blown away when, you know, got set up on the site and, you know, one of my first, I think it was one of the first one or two articles was posted on the, the Outlaws Facebook page. Uh, my mind was completely blown. What was the first article that you published for them? Do you remember? Oh, um, the, the very first article, I think it was just a, a random news article, I think. Um, some news story, but I, I think I posted about the December 1995 photo shoot, yeah. um, when all the outlaws was on the on top of the hotel roof, mm -hmm. I, I wrote a short article about that, and they basically got posted on on their Facebook. Mm -hmm. Man, my mind was blown. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the second, maybe third post. Mm -hmm. I was kind of addicted. For, I was addicted from then. Basically, yeah. yeah, I mean, I can imagine that, obviously, because like we're pretty much doing the well, we are doing the same exact thing. And uh, so I remember the thing that really stood out for me the most, especially like kind of, you know, going through your trajectory or going through your career was I don't even know if you knew this. So Andy was actually cited in Muda's Life is Raw book. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. Like, we read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's so cool is that like, I mean, for you, that must have been incredible, right? To have been part of his biography. Oh, wow. You know, I, I interviewed... Uh, Pardon the the Heart of an Outlaw uh, show. I interviewed uh, 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 Suleiman Suleiman Jenkins is the author. Of course, you guys interviewed him a bit before me. Um, brilliant interview uh, as always. Um, and at the end of the interview, we was just shooting back DMs, and he said, "I just I'm going to send it you just for you know thanks like a goodwill gesture, like a mm -hmm. gift." So he sent the book, and um, with all the stuff with my little lad with Samson in and out of hospital i'm just reading like three or four pages at a time so i'm pretty much any spare time within the last few months any any spare 
uh, moment. I've just been on my, on my phone just reading it. Yeah. And it just happens when my little lad went into hospital um, the last time. I was, of course, with COVID and and, and the restrictions in hospital and, and places like that. Um, you only allowed one parent into the into the actual room. So I, his mum went in in the, you know, the cot side, giving his feeds. I stayed in in the waiting room. As I was in the waiting room, you can guess I'm, I'm reading through it, and just so happens that I see my name at the bottom. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow! I actually stood up and like shouted, yeah. <laughs> <I was kind laughs> of, oh wow! It, it, of course, I was I was feeling really down about what was happening with Samson. I just put a, a beaming smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of dropped him a message after that, like thanking him so much. Yeah, like, I can't believe I've been referenced in you know, you know, Napoleon's book. Yeah. Like, what? And what was the article that they referenced? Um, I think it was an article about the '96 uh, um, Music Awards a few a few days before Pat got shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was something to do with um, uh, I think it was the Nas meeting in Bryan Park. Um, I think I, I wrote an article about that, and obviously Sullivan's referenced referenced that. So yeah, and that was like such a like cool incident. I remember with uh, since you brought it up. I mean, I think we should talk about it. Sure, so first sure. of all, what's cool, like for our audience, Nas actually wrote a quote for the Napoleon book, which was really dope. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, so I don't know how much like you know about this. So like Nas and so Tupac apparently like had a beef or whatever, you know, kind of in the late 90s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, so they actually ended up meeting at the 96 Video Music Awards, right? And so he, this was so fucked up. So Napoleon, um, so Napoleon was there and like he kind of recounted the story. And so like, but they had a meeting on their own. And like, so apparently like nobody actually knows what happens when, what happened when they met on their own. So like they had like their two crews together, right? So Pac had like a crew of 50 deep. Nas had the crew of 50 deep, right? And they were like, yo, let's just go talk this out and let's figure this out together, right? Yeah. So they go off on their own. And then so Pac, when he came back, he told, I don't remember who he said this to, but he had the Machiavelli album coming out right and so he told the person he's like yo we have to take like the verse that like the disc that i did about nas out of the album so it was supposed to be taken out he's like we're good now he's like we're cool he's like i like nas he's like we're taking it out and he died and they actually never took the verse out so if yeah yeah yeah, they never took oh the i didn't know that part yeah i know where the two crews met up and they were actually both ready to kind of go at it right. i think uh moo had more people with him right so it sounded i was like as i was reading i was like all right, I mean, I know who's going to win, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but then you see that, like, they both talk, like, two leaders go talk to each other right. and they hash it out, yeah. you know? I didn't know they never removed the yeah. lyric, though. That's crazy. And that was so fucked up, too, because I remember, I don't remember um, when this was, but there was, like, an interview with Nas. And I remember at the time, I was like, oh, Nas is, like, full of shit. But he said he was telling the story. And he's like, yeah, you know, like, he's like, me and Pac worked it out. And when I heard the album, I was like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like, he's like, first of all, I don't even think Nas knew what the verse was. Mm-hmm. So when he heard it, he's like, whoa, like, where's this even coming from? Um, so, but whatever. But my thinking at the time, I was thinking, like, oh, fuck Nas. He didn't, Pac would have never rolled with him right but obviously i was wrong so but the cool thing about that was that like they they actually like worked it out like they went man to man they met up I, nobody knows what happened in the conversation but like they figured things out mm. so for sure for sure it was like a big showdown in, in the pack but Nas and tupac kind of um like muta says isn't it they kind of kind of talked it out like men and yeah. kind of squashed the beef right there and then yeah, and it was and it was like so surprising too because from what I remember, like Pac was a pretty like 
don't know, I guess aggressive dude. And it was like, and I guess maybe his beef was not with Nas wasn't so personal, which is why like he was able to do that or whatever. Cause I, obviously Nas had really very little to do with like Biggie and Puffy and Bad Boy at the time. So, um, so I guess, but that was so cool that he was like able to do that. He was able to kind of just say like, look, you know, I fucked up or whatever. I made a mistake. Let's take that verse out of the diss record. Cause that could have been horrible. I mean, it was kind of horrible, but he was already dead obviously, but that could have been really bad if he were still alive. It was, it was. I mean, I think, um, I, I think Nas is, uh, fast forward through his concerts, I think he's actually stopped the shows. I think it was actually in 1996, I think he was actually doing a show. Um, I think there's some footage on, on YouTube. Um, he actually stopped his show to pay respects to, to Pac when he heard the news that, that Pac actually got shot. Wow. So, you know, kind of paid, you know, big respect to, to, to Nas for that. Yeah, and I remember what was so, did you want to say something? I got a question, but I'll do it after. Right. So what was so dope was that, you know, that I, this is like little known, and I actually just found out a couple of days ago that after Pac died, Biggie was actually bumping the Machiavelli album. Like right. consistently, yeah. Uh -oh. He was consistently cool. listening to it. So it's like, wow, man. After like, you know, they went through that whole thing and, you know, Pac obviously put him through a lot of shit. He was like, nah, man, like that's still my friend. Wow, wow. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, I think I, I think if Pac and Biggie were still here, I think that... that I think definitely they've been on a few tracks together for sure. You know, sitting down, settling it like like adults, like you know, full grown men. Yeah, and I mean, like, how long would that have even lasted? Like, most of these beefs, they don't go on forever. So it's like if they both lived, they would have worked it out. And especially because it was so stupid to begin with. Plus, how old was Tupac when he? Twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine what more years of maturity would do, yeah. right? Not that he wasn't mature. He was. Uh, he was kind of, of immature. Time. He was still kind of immature. It's that's no, that's no. I mean, he was twenty five. He was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole point is, yeah. Imagine where he would be, and also uh, Biggie too, right? Like, yeah, I actually could see where they might have worked it out at some point. Maybe collaborated. You never know. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I wanted to ask you, Andy, um, what, um, what about listening to Tupac for the first time connected with you? And, and like, when did you start listening to Tupac? <laughs> you know, it was funny. Um growing up i was never allowed to listen to hip-hop or rap because um me, me, my parents they was like nah it's got uh, swearing it's too aggressive it's going to make you aggressive it's going to make you swear um you're going to start acting out in school and so forth so um it was actually when i was around about 14 15 i was kind of sneaking the cds it was back back in the day it was cds it's, it's all online these days but uh, it was tapes and cds back in, in um, the school I used to go to so used to be listening to him on the school bus and then so when I go home I was like um I don't know a quiet kid you know kind of thing you know I I've not been listening to no hip-hop but uh no it's probably around about 14 15 I started um listening to uh hip-hop started uh hearing uh, first heard Tupac probably when I was yeah around about 14 15 and it it just connected with me you know the lyrics um you know, it's, it's so real. You know, even you know, back back home here in England, we have the hoods, we have the drugs, the violence, and what he was saying, what come across to me, um, was even though you grow up in that in that environment, whether it's America, UK, you you can prosper and you you know you can get out of the the environment. I think that that's what connected to me more more than. Uh, with the likes of Eminem, who was coming out at that time. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, Eminem, Eminem is a brilliant rapper, but when I first heard Tupac, 
with the likes of Dear Mama. Um, it just connected to me. Yeah, and I think the major difference, I mean, from my perspective, and this is like not to hate on anybody because I obviously respect Eminem too as a like musician or whatever. I mean, his music, it's he's like, it's selfish, right? So it's like, yes, it's good that it's like his story or whatnot. I mean, it's a lot of sort of violence and, you know, aggression or whatnot. And I mean, it's like, yeah, you get the real person. But at the end of the day, he's not that great of a human being from the songs. I mean, I don't know him in real life, so I can't say. But like with Pocket was different, man. Like you could tell that he cared about people. He obviously cared about the community as a whole in his music. And his music was more so about hope than it was about rage. So like, obviously, you know, as time went on and he had the beef with Bad Boy or whatever, it became more vicious and aggressive. But in the beginning, some of his earlier songs like you know papa song obviously dear mama which is a classic and sort of um and like the music that he put out at that time it was more so about like hey like we could kind of rise up and get out of this together and i see kind of like you know the sort of sparkle in your eyes and i see the i see the kind of the hope within all of you whereas with eminem i don't know man i don't agree well okay why what do you think i'm sorry i'm like listening to you talk shit about eminem i'm just like what? what All right. So there was, uh, for example, so yeah, maybe in the beginning, he was very selfish about his life, you know. Mm-hmm. First of all, one argument to that is if you do talk about your own life, that is actually very relatable. It's mm-hmm. like the more personal the wound, right? Mm-hmm. The more universal, the more like you're relatable to other people. That's why they liked him. Mm-hmm. Then there's another thing where like he started having that, uh, I think it was the recovery album or something like that. Mm-hmm. And like one of his songs was about uh, getting out of addiction, mm-hmm. uh, not just for himself. He's like for anyone else who was addicted or anything like that. And uh, this didn't necessarily apply to me, but I had somebody in my family who was going through like addiction issues. And then like, I'd listen to that song and it kind of like resonated with me. And like, in that sense, it felt like it was for other people. You okay. know? I hear you. I don't know. I mean, I don't know his later music, so I can't speak. So I guess I can't speak on it or speak to him. But I understand you want to say maybe this new song Godzilla. You know, he's you know rapping a mile a minute. Maybe you don't know how to connect with that. That's a I actually story. don't even. I've never even heard. But, I, I do not listen to like new like rap music or any music. So I have no idea. I have no idea what the new Eminem stuff was like. I think the last one I heard was like that album um, Kamikaze. When was that? Oh. Two years ago. Yeah, it was a few years back. Yeah. Yeah, that was okay. I was like, okay, cool. I don't know, man. I can't do it. Like, just new music just doesn't resonate with me. So, like, even when it comes to, like, new music from, like, older rappers, like, I don't know, Nas or Jay-Z or whatever, can't do it. Of course. Of course. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of share your, your view there, Liam. Um, you know, of course, I, I stay up to speed with pretty much the latest hip-hop, UK hip-hop. I try, try my best to keep up to speed. Um, but just something about the, the old school, what they call it, the old school, the, the 90s, the 90s hip-hop. It just resonates with me, um, you know, more than more than this this new stuff that's coming out. But you know, like Alan's just said, I mean, if something touches you in the lyric, I suppose you can relate to that. Um, but going back to Tupac, I mean, it, I didn't know of Tupac's political background when I first heard first heard at fourteen fifteen. So I got the I got the um, I got the, the kind of um, the the rage um, the angry songs first. And then it was a few years down the line, um, I, was, I was going through a, a bit, bit of a bit of a stage in my life where I wanted to research a bit more of the music that I was listening to, and that's when that's when I, I read about you know his political uh, political views, his his upbringing, Afini's upbringing, and the, the involvement in the Panther Panther Twenty Ones. So it was kind of it kind of resonated with me quite quite uh, loudly. 
Yeah, and it seems like from my perspective, when it comes to like the difference, and I don't mean to like harp on this, and I'll get off the subject after this, but of like the main difference between um like Pac's anger and Eminem's anger. Like again, Eminem's anger was personal. It was like like look at what you know my mom did to me, or like look at what Kim did to me, or whomever, right? With Pac, it was like no, like look at what this fucking country is doing to our people. Let's talk about that, right? Yeah. So his was more about like us. This is what's happening to our communities. So for him, his music was a reflection of the state of things at the time. Whereas like look for Eminem, his music was a state of his own you know or a reflection of his own state at the time which is like cool i mean i'm not against it i'm just saying i know tupac was profound yeah uh, no 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 this the, the only thing you caught from me was just me being like damn he's really talking shit about him right now. like hardcore i was like yo if eminem heard this right now you'd be like i don't like the one with podcast. no, no i feel bad because like when he hears our podcast he's gonna be pretty upset <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh no tupac though like himself like he was a profound figure, even to this day, when people, when you ask somebody like, who is there in their top five, Tupac always makes the list, right? Yeah. I mean, it's debatable who the five people are. They always, you know, people play with that, but uh, Tupac is always on the list, Yeah, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and and Andy, in your interviews, right, like with kind of obviously you've had Stormy Coleman on, um, you've had Napoleon on, right, you've had a Johnny on. So when you, I know you usually ask people like who their favorite rappers is. It's, I'm assuming it's the same thing for you too. They always mention Tupac somewhere, like the top two or top three. Definitely, definitely. Um, but nine times out of ten, it's, it's that Tupac's number one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find, and I find that even outside of like the circle of people who knew him, like obviously, you know, kind of like Edie, you know, Noble and all of them, like the people like who just, let's say people who are just hip hop fans in general, like they often place him at the top spot. I actually find it very rare that somebody has him like outside of the top two. It's usually either Biggie's number one, Pac is number two or Pac is number one and Biggie's number two. But it's like very rare that somebody even has them outside of that like even like with fat joe he does like um i don't know what his show is called but like the instagram live show and everybody who goes on the show usually has pockets number one or number two yeah 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 i've not i've noticed that i've noticed that definitely yeah and then so andy what was the speaking of your show man what was it like for you to interview these people like especially oh. i mean to have napoleon on who we've had on multiple times which for us was like amazing what was it like for you sure i keep using that word but mind blowing mind blowing um you know like I said, growing up listening to these to these guys at 14, 15, first hearing them, um, and their their songs are literally etched into my brain. The lyrics and uh, years down the line, I'm 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 on the Facebook pretty much every day. You know, I'm checking for the news, um, latest songs, this, that, and the other. You're banging them in my car to actually interview and to talk. You know, to talk to them. You know, ask the questions that I've been. That I've been wanting to ask for many years, but other people's wanting to be asked. It's completely mind blowing. But in the same sense, I didn't realize how, you know, down to earth they are, that, you know, how humble they are. Um, yeah. And it's just mind blowing. It's an amazing experience just to interview probably, you know, some of your idols. You yeah. know, I've grown up, I was listening to, you know, 14, 15, listening to Hit 'em Up, uh, listening to, um, you know the outlaws and Tupac. Napoleon was pretty much Tupac's right hand man. He was one of one of the outlaws. So, you know, it's pretty much um, it's a dream come true. Dream come true to actually interview these guys. And it's interesting because when you say like they're they're actually very down to earth, and that hits you a certain way. That's from our perspective too. Like whenever we interview some of our guests, especially when we think like, you know, like it's somebody of like uh, 
really high status or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting what happens when you're just when you find out like, no, it's just like another person. And then they but like they just went through a lot of things to get to where they are. And it's 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 weird. It's like uh, back in the day used to be like somebody who was like afraid. Let's say, you know, like people who would take uh, they ask for pictures with their favorite celebrity or like can they get an autograph and all that well as i started you know growing up and i was i was learning like the people who ask for the autograph and the signature and all that that's a cool thing and a lot of these like stars they're happy to do it and they you know and some don't like it whatever but one thing that i noticed is like if you ever wanted to be on the same level as these people or like friends with them or whatever it's like you don't necessarily ask them for the for that kind of stuff it's it's almost like instead you're you're on the same level like you you somehow get on the same level and you start to have a conversation and like a back and forth and it's it's insane when you start to realize like that they're just like normal people too it it was it's interesting like from an interview perspective yeah yeah i feel what you're saying i definitely feel what you're saying um i interviewed stormy coleman um a few weeks ago and his interview almost ran over uh, because he was getting into so much stuff um you know the the amount of, the amount of um, the, the deep conversation we was having, uh, and we actually continued off uh, in in the DMs. We we was going, and he wants to come over to travel to to see where to see where I live. Um, so I mean, once COVID's over, who knows? But I, I, going back to the point, the show down to earth, and you know, listening to him, you know, you got your headphones on, or you you blasting through the speakers, or you see see just some of the music videos on TV. But actually have the conversation and, and talk about the stuff you're talking about. It, it's kind of it can kind of takes you back really. It can it took me back where, you know, actually they are human beings and they have got views on certain things, on certain maybe political things or things that are just going on in the world today. But you know, that's probably probably the main point where it is they're so down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And imagine, like, I wonder what it's like for you. Uh, like, let's say you from, let's say, five years ago. How do you think he would react to, like, everything that you're doing right now? Especially before, you know, uh, you, you know, like uh, going on the, um, you know, like responding in 2017 to the Twitter and all that. Like, even before all that, like, seeing you now, like, interviewing these people, talking to, like, uh uh, like a, a Johnny Carr, for example, Mu, uh, Suleiman. Like, what's what do you think you would have thought? Oh wow, well, I'd have thought that wouldn't have been possible back yeah. then. You know, the, yeah. the, these people, you know, and they still are to, to me like the icons. You know, that I look up to them. Uh, but back to 2016, 2017, before I responded to the to the the outlaws on the post on the outlaws. Um. I just, I would have thought, nah, that that would never happen. That would never happen to someone like me, anyway. You know, um, yeah. You know, actually looking up to these guys and actually being being able to interview them and you know to be, being able to speak to them and you know message them and you know it's completely unreal. It is unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I I could definitely relate to that feeling. Like, uh, if you even asked me maybe two years ago. If I would be like, oh, you know, you're actually going to start like uh, interviewing and speaking with all these different people and have a show on the Internet and uh, you're going to, you know, talk. It's it's crazy the amount of people that you're going to meet and all that. Uh, I wouldn't believe it. And also, I don't know about you, Leon. Like, what, oh, what I knew you... this was coming. No, I'm kidding. 
Hey, it's, it's destined to be the star layoff. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to do a podcast. No, no, I was like, what's <laughs> taking so long? Like, what the fuck? I mean, what year is it already? <laughs> but like, uh, but yeah, and then for you, Andy, what was the, like one of the coolest things to me? I mean, outside of kind of the, the interviews that you were doing for the Heart of an Outlaw show was I remember thinking how awesome it was that you actually not only got to interview Angie Thomas, but that you got to meet her in person, too. So that was really awesome. So for our audience, I'm sure everybody kind of already knows, but I think it's still worth saying. So Angie Thomas is the author of The Hate You Give. Um, she also wrote on The Come Up, which just, I think, came out this year. And then she's writing a new book called Concrete Rose. There it is. There it is. The Hate You Give. <laughs> yes. So Angie Thomas is such a dope person because like, first of all, not only is she a really like really, really good writer, but on top of that, like what she did for like, let's say, so she writes for like Gen Z, right? So most of Gen Z have no idea who Tupac was, right? If they're like, what, like, what do you, what is the hate you give? I still have people who would be like, I don't know where the hate you give us from, right? So what's so cool is that she took this like monumental person and the character and obviously um, sort of his vision, his ideas, um, his kind of goals for the world, right? And she sort of put them in the context of like, let's say 2000. And I think the book was written in 2017, something like that. So let's say, yeah, so she put that context, right? whatever, let's say in the past like five years. And so she sort of like took the Black Lives Matter movement and she was like, oh, hey, you know, Pac has been saying this stuff for like the past, you know, whatever it was, like 20 years, you know, up until he passed away. So Andy, what was it like speaking to her and what was it like meeting her in person? Oh, wow. Um, she come on, she come up over a hip for a book tour, um, which is, she did a book tour through, I think, a few cities over here, I think, um, Birmingham was one, uh, and Manchester, uh, which is literally 50 mile down the road from me. So no doubt, bought the tickets, uh, headed straight down there. Um, was first in line, was on the first row, um, and she come down and I think she spoke for just over an hour uh, about the book, about the concept for the book, uh, the concept for the hate you give, um, and then she got started going on about where uh, the hate you give come from, about two pack. Of course, my ears pricked up, um, but I, she took some uh, questions from the, the audience and then she had a book signing. So I, me being me, I, I thought I'm pretty pretty for this uh, interview that I did from, the, you know, I think it was a, the year previous. Uh, so I printed the interview out, uh, queued up in line, and she actually remembered me. So she's like, oh, you, you're from the old frail online? I was like, wow. Wow. Uh, but she, she said she enjoyed the interview. Um, she, again, down to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got the interview signed by it. It's pretty much it's framed downstairs. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there was... Um, she, she's really humble, dead down to earth. Um, well, yeah, it was brilliant to meet her, actually, in person. Yeah. Yeah, no, it kind of seems like it. So um, I know obviously a lot of writers are like kind of closed off and you don't really get to kind of like know much about them, obviously, because they usually kind of keep to themselves. Um, but it seems like like I know Angie's like pretty active on like Twitter or whatnot. Um, do you know, like, if, does she do a lot of like these talks or like before COVID? Was she doing a lot of them? Yeah, she does. She, I think she does. It, it, she did uh, one in the States just before she come over uh, to the UK. Um, I'm not too sure where it was, but I think it was um, and she did like... Um, certain parts of the states mm-hmm. and then she go over to the uk uh but with the uh, covid and stuff like that at the moment obviously the world's pretty much shut down but i think she's she's planning on releasing a book in january i'm not i'm not too sure of the title yeah concrete rose that's the one concrete rose it just it's a really cool name yes yeah, such a cool name for a book 
Oh God, yeah. <laughs> of course it is. Um, but I think, hopefully, fingers crossed, you'll be doing some more book tours once all this COVID's <laughs> over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and imagine if you could even get her on the Heart of an Outlaw show. How dope would that be? Oh wow, that'd be brilliant. That'd yeah. be so. It really would. It really would. Yeah, and I think she'd be down. That'd be interesting. I mean. Nobody can see for sure, obviously. No, I'm surprised. There's some guests that, like, we thought, like, nah, they're not going to, no. Like, you actually send them, like, an email. They're like, yeah, sure. I'll come on. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I just, if you you don't ask, you don't, you never know. Yeah. That's actually true. Yeah. Of course, of course. Just just to stop you guys there, I'm a massive, massive fan of your show. Uh, You you know, your podcast, I've I've listened, I've listened to every single one of them. (laughs) Every single episode? (laughs) Every single episode. Cool. Amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. And obviously, and I've listened to every single one of the Heart of an Outlaw shows too. I think did I miss one? No. I mean, I wasn't like on live for all of them, but yeah, I definitely listened to all of them. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome, man. So and by the way, how did how did like that how did the idea come from for or where did it come from for for uh, Heart of an Outlaw? Uh, we were doing interviews for the articles and um, you know, all online based. Um which I was doing quite quite a few. I mean, I, I have interviewed uh, taking taking the artists out and taking uh, people from the hip hop industry. I've, I did a don't know if you've seen it on the on the uh, website. Did the two pack art the two pack art inspiration series? Yes, yes, yes. That was dope. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was interviewing quite a lot of um, uh, visual artists, and uh, you know, I thought maybe just maybe. I could do this on like a video, like a video platform. And um, I kind of took some inspiration from, from you guys. Um, I'm, for me, I'm pretty much a shy person. So, Oh, me too. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was toying, I, toying with the idea. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought, I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Uh, put, put the idea out and um, to Vegas. I'm sure, sure you know. Big shout out to Vegas. Yeah, was um, that? <laughs> and he was he was on board with it. So tossing up a few of the ideas for for the name of the show. I just come up with the Heart of an Outlaw show because you know I just I just feel I, I feel what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I feel inspired by by the Outlaws and what Tupac did, and of course being the overall on, online network. Out of an outlaw, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and it kind of seemed like the next step for you because, um, like I obviously, you know, we talked about you started out as like a journalist and you were covering different things that happened in the past, like with the outlaws or Pac and whatnot. And yeah. um, what was cool, I remember, is you were kind of also counter, uh, countering, covering experiences that you were going through at the time of COVID, right? Like writing different articles about your son, um, the kind of state of the world in England at the time. And so I thought it was like the natural progression for you, man. And I think that that was the same thing for us too, like where you would start off like you know for me with my blog and then i was like yeah like what are we doing like there are people who would like prefer to watch you know kind of or listen to shows rather than read which is a fact i mean fortunate or unfortunate it is a fact of reality so i thought for you it was like a natural progression especially since you were already doing great interviews like on the you know on the uh, on the platform the website so like to go from that to the interviews it's like you have a lot of people who already kind of read the interviews so you already had such a great fan base to begin with and for you i thought it was like a seamless transition which was really cool because now i mean the show was really took off like dude like your show's doing great at this point so phenomenal stuff man also takes such balls Mm -hmm. to just to decide to like do uh like a to do interviews and to put yourself out there yeah um even for us before we even started i 
I don't know. Like the first, uh, I mean, the first episode, it was probably the easiest to yeah. do because we just sat down in front of the camera. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Of course. Put it out there. But uh, then, then the whole process of like, no, 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 you got to be consistent. You got to keep doing this, come up with ideas. Maybe we should start having guests. How, how does that work? You know, then you start to reach out to them. You're like, I don't know how this works. Okay, I'll try, you know. Then you have your first guest. Then you have your first uh, tech issue, you know. Like all of a sudden, uh, like I would, we would use Skype, yeah, right? And then, all, and like some other program to record, that program would shut off. Like we had a, this was not even that early on. This was, Eric was episode 30 something. Yeah. So we, we, oh, had, yeah, we, yeah, we had the Brooklyn Borough President on and we literally lost the entire episode. The whole episode. Oh, no. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, It was so bad. It was so bad because it was actually probably the best interview we ever had, too. He said the most. Like, yeah, he was really, he was really wise and so we lost all of it. This was like in the beginning of COVID and he's, yeah, it's the beginning of yeah, COVID. The beginning and of he COVID. said some of the most, like, <laughs> the things that, like, you hear famous people say, like, in speeches that get recorded and put into songs or into, like, those special videos. He said some shit that, like, it hit you so hard. And I was like, this is going to be our best episode. Yeah, yeah. Then after it's done, we say goodbye to him. He's awesome. <laughs> I was, like, looking. I was like, oh, no. Like, and then Leon's, like, sitting back on this couch. He's like, oh, I'm done. He's, like, relaxing. <laughs> yes. And then I'm like, oh no. And then he looks at my eyes. He knows something is wrong. And I'm um, like, the episode's not here. He's like, what do you mean it's not here? <laughs> and like, it was, it was rough. Then we ended up getting an interview again with him, which by the way, that was awesome on his part that he was like willing to do that again. Yeah. But yeah, we only got like, I think one minute recorded from that. <laughs> from yeah. the first one, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like a lot of growing pains when I'm doing this, like especially from like the tech side, because like we're not like tech people. So to figure this stuff out on the go or on the fly or whatever, it's kind of gets to be a bitch. Yeah. But back to like the fact that, yeah, to make the decision to uh, put yourself out there and stuff like that. I'm also naturally shy. Like there's some episodes before we start, no matter who it is, it doesn't matter. Like even if I think it's going to be like, oh, like, for example, like before we started with you. I was like, oh no, it's like, it's, it's family, it's O4L. Like this is gonna be cool. It's gonna be like a simple, and it is, it is a good, like awesome flowy conversation. But before it started, I started like, Leon's like, are you okay? I was like, what do you mean? And I was, I'm like coughing, like whatever. Cause it's like some weird, like pre-show thing yeah. that I always have. Um, sure. Then when I get into it, it's all good, but it's, it's like one of those like weird things, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if anybody ever really gets over it, to be honest with you. Like, people say, like, the more you do it or whatever, the easier it gets. I just think you just begin to, like, start putting yourself out there because if you're like, oh, okay, I've done this before. I don't know if it gets easier necessarily. It get, I think it gets easier, like, in terms of you're more experienced, like, to have a conversation. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's like, uh, but it's not easy in terms of, like, you're always going to have that thing before you start doing it. Dude, I fucking told Andy, thanks for having us on. Why would I say that? Oh, yeah, at the beginning? <laughs> Where did that even come from? This is his show now. You're welcome. And, like, I do stuff like that all the time. And it doesn't even make any sense. I'm like, what are you doing, Brian? Where is that coming from? So, I mean, Andy, what's it like for you, man? Like, so obviously, because for you, by the way, for, for our uh, for our audience, Andy's show is even harder than ours because you do it live. We don't even do this live. So if we fuck something up like hardcore, we could just literally edit it out. For your stuff, it's live. What's that like for you? Uh, 
I resonate with what you guys have just said. It's it's so nerve wracking. I'm, I'm I'm literally like that before be, two minutes before I go on. Before I press live, I'm like that. I can't even press the, I can't even press the button sometimes. But, uh, it's it's nerve wracking just before you go live. Um, but if, if I make a mistake, I make a mistake, and I try to. I, sometimes I, I watch it back on the IGTV, um, and if I, if I stumble across a word or I, I, like a stutter a bit. No, I don't want to listen to that. I shut myself off. But, um, but no, it is nerve wracking. It is nerve wracking. Uh, but I, I think my the first show with uh, I think it was Richard Garcia, the two pack impersonator. Uh, I think that was the, probably the hardest for me because the first show and I, like you guys have just said, I, you don't know how you don't know how it's going to go. I was going live. I don't know. You know, he, he's got a big following. Um, going live with his his followers, so. I think the, the, the first show was the, the, the probably the hardest to do, but I was very nervous. I'm, I get nervous. I'm, get nervous with with all my guests. I even though you know I'm nervous now, so it's. Uh, yeah. But I, I think it's it's getting easier. It's getting easier. Um, and I'm just enjoying it. I'm just I'm just really enjoying it at the moment. Yeah, and you know what's what's something that like for me always stands out like a memory and whatnot. Um, so especially like when we're going through shows or whatever. And Andy, obviously, I'm sure you know this. So what Pac did when he recorded music was he actually left all of the stutters and mutters in there. And when somebody tried to edit it out, he would say like, "No, no, no, you have to keep that shit in there." He's like, "I don't want anything." He's like, "I don't want it like you know kind of sugar coated or I don't want to kind of cover it over." He's like, "I want like everything in there because it's raw and real." So if you listen to so one of my favorite songs by All of the Outlaws is "The Good Die Young." And if you listen to the ending of the show where he's talking, he actually stutters in it. He says, this is for all my fa fa fallen soldiers. And I was like, oh, shit, he actually kept that in there. And I was like, holy shit, like, that's so awesome. Like this person, right, who's like, you know, kind of this legendary figure, he actually wanted to keep all the flaws in there. And I think for him, I mean, not even I think, I mean, he said it. The flaws were genuine, right? For him, the perfect person didn't exist. The perfect artist, musician, you know, uh, kind of like, I don't know, filmmaker, poet, whatever, right? They didn't exist. So for him to put that in the music, right, it's like it was a sign that he was just like everybody else and i really appreciated that so when i fuck up and say things like welcome to our show or whatever or thanks for having us on no welcome to our show wow that was a fuck up thanks for having us on right for me i'm like who cares like this is it like this is what it is and that's like i'm always gonna say and do stupid shit like that and you know who cares fuck it definitely definitely um yeah you, you pretty much you pretty much summed it up right there and then you know uh people think you know tupac is you know the perfect you know he's the perfect rapper he's you know, an icon, and like you just said, he, he left his mistakes in in his songs, and you know these songs have are known worldwide. You know, they've they've made millions of dollars. Uh, you know, been played millions of times on YouTube, this, that, and the other. You know, on on multi platinum selling albums. So, you know, you've summed it up in one there, Liam. Yeah, yeah. And what's uh, what's great is you know when somebody is uh, listening to either those kinds of songs or to to this podcast or or to, to your show and they see like somebody's being they're being real they're being genuine right and like leon said like you're keeping everything that makes you you in in the production of it right so yeah. what's great is i mean one one it's good because that's real right so you when somebody is like watching you're like okay this is this guy's not being phony like this is this is some real stuff right it's coming from him the other side of it too is like it also gives people the confidence to be like oh you know maybe maybe what i whatever i need to do doesn't need to be perfect before right. i do it right because there's a lot of um and i relate to this i i 
I'm still like this in other ways, maybe not with the show, because like I'll still we'll still do the show, obviously. But sometimes like before you do something, you need things to look perfect or be or look a certain way. Yeah. But but if you know that maybe you don't necessarily have to do that, like sometimes it's just about starting or just about uh, doing it or just like going with the process and like and you know that you're going to get better and better and better as you do it more and more. I mean, and not even that, like whatever you're doing, is not about, it's not about whether it's good or not. It's, again, it's real. So that's what's, that's what's already good about it. Yeah. But anyway, you just know that it, you just like, it's like a skill that you build up anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you, if you think about it, I mean, you guys already know this. Most of the garbage on Instagram is like highly curated. And then when people look at other people's lives and profiles and whatnot, they're like, oh my God, like I'm nowhere near as perfect as this person. And it's like, dude, that person isn't nowhere near as, is nowhere near as perfect as that person. Mm -hmm. It's like what you get on the internet 90% of the time is literally just, it's like the highlight reel. And sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's just complete fluff and complete garbage. And people kind of compare themselves to like ideals that are really, I mean, they're existent in the sense, but only existent in the her own minds i mean uh that kind of thing anyway i mean that has listen, i'm not gonna i i get what you're saying like i really get it you're like uh oh, okay they're being fake and all that but even that like in terms of like uh advertising right like you know the, the way things are presented mm -hmm. they are presented as like they're perfect right yeah so i mean yeah. it it works like whatever they're doing it's it's a form of uh of like marketing so yeah I, I, I am not saying it's correct, like it's the, you know, the right, you know, way to be or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you see something that works and you're kind of about selling things or selling yourself or, right. or whatever or mm -hmm. building a brand, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to knock it 100 percent. But I, I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, it's like a fake presentation or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I the know. thing is, this is the way I see it. And I know this is kind of a little bit, you know, kind of different than what we were talking about. But I do think it's an important conversation to have. So I think for people who, um, you're right. Okay, so yes, it is about branding and marketing. But then like in some, res to some respect, or I guess in, to some extent, like they also have a responsibility. I mean, like if we're talking about people with like millions of followers, look, I'm not saying you're supposed to like, you know, cry every other day on Instagram and say, oh my God, this is why my life is terrible. But like, I mean, you also kind of owe it at least to some, you know, to your fans, right? To some kind of segment of the population, again, because you have like millions of them, especially if they're like teenagers to say like, hey, this is like what's going on in my life. And kind of bringing it back to Pac, that's what I really loved about his music. Because he would talk about his suicidality. He would talk about his depression. Um, he talked about how literally he couldn't like sleep for days on end right how he needed medication and weed and whatnot um he talked about how no matter oh the, one of the best lines that i've ever heard in any song ever what do we all adore something worth dying for nothing but pain stuck in this game searching for fortune and fame Right. And like, who says that? Because every time you go on Instagram or whatever, famous, glamorized and idealized and everybody's like, oh, my God, I wish I were this person. They seem to have the perfect life. Like, it's so unfair, yada, yada. And Pac was like, no, man, like you do not want this. You actually don't want fame. And Muda told us about that in like the first interview that we did with him where he was like, Pac used to always give us a hard time. And he'd be like, oh, look at y'all chasing that fame, man. He's like, yo, you're going to be miserable and you don't even see it coming. 
So it's like, that's what I loved about him because he could put that out there and he could say like, the stuff that you guys are jealous about, like let's say, you know, all of us in like the real world, he's like, it's not as ideal and it's not as glamorous as you think it is. I mean, yes, it's partially the fault of that industry that kind of, you know, curates it heavily and puts it out there as like this great thing to chain, to chase or like admire or whatever. But the point is, but then you have people like Paco would say like, look guys, like this thing that you're obsessing over, you actually really don't want it because I'm still really depressed. I'm still suicidal. And yet I have all of these things that everybody else seemingly wants. Mm. Sure, sure. Yeah. Definitely. You know, you see him, you touch on your point there, Leon. You see him in the in the photo shoots, you know, flashing the cash, the, the, the jewelry, you know, the, the gold rings. And, you know, and like you say, he, he told the other side, he's shown you, you know, you can have this, you can have the, the glitz, the glamour, but there's also this side as well, you know, where I've still got these thoughts. I'm still down, you know, I need medication, I need alcohol, you know, just to get by or just to get, you know, <clears throat> just to get through the day. Um, so I, th I think I think um, Tupac actually doing that and showing his fans, showing the people that actually fame isn't, you know, that glitz and glamour that we all see on the TV. See, I, I kind of, I, back in the day, I, I don't know if you know, back in the day, I, I was a semi-professional bodybuilder, so... Um, my oh. my posters were, were, were throughout the gyms across the UK. Um, okay. Me with my top off posing. Um, yeah. I look nothing like a bodybuilder these days, but I was like touching twenty stone, pure pure muscle. Mm -hmm. um, and my my like I say, I was on advertisements. I was sponsored by a few different nutrition companies, and it was basically saying on the headline on the poster, uh, take take these these products to look like this guy, um, and it's kind of not wanting to, you know, downplay the companies because all the companies that are sponsored by were brilliant companies, but, you know, it was just hard, uh, true, hardcore ex exercise, you know, weightlifting and good, good food. I mean, the supplements that I was taking did help, but the way the advertisement comes across, the way they put it across, it, it was false. It was definitely false. I could say that. Wow. So that's so, so kind of, cool. I didn't know you were a bodybuilder. <laughs> That's <yeah>. badass. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look nothing like a bodybuilder these days, just average Joe, but um, no, I was uh, I was semi-professional bodybuilder, yeah. Going, yeah. Going, going back to like 2012, 2013, Wow. Well, I mean, so two things. Um, first of all, thank you for telling us that. That's really dope. And I think that's like a great story. Just knowing that kind of, kind, of, kind of how terrible or how like fucked up like marketing can be. And then the other thing is, look, man, honestly, I think there's like not enough respect for the dad bod. Because like, think about it like this, man. Who the hell wants to be with a person who's like a gym rat going and lifting like five days a week, which is what I'm assuming you were doing while you were lifting? Six days a week. <laughs> yeah, like you can't have a family. Like, and you, man, you have like three kids, right? You're not gonna have yeah. three kids and literally lift six days a week. That's not possible. I don't agree with you. I think <laughs> I think you could have. I think you could go to the gym, and you know, it just depends. Six on days your a week. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to see you make this work with working nine to five, taking care of three oh, kids. No, no. I mean, I, I had to train. I had two training partners. Uh, one, my brother. Uh, he was at college, and. Uh, uh, the other, the other guy, Ash, uh, he he worked full time, forty plus hours a week, you know, sometimes fifty hours a week. He was a manager at a store, and he was there six days a week with me, you know. So I, I take I take my hat off to him. But at the moment, I'm working fly out at work, coming home with three kids, uh, you know, spending time with, with my wife. I, I just couldn't train five and a half, six hours a day, which is what I was doing at the top, you know, at the at the top of the height of my bodybuilding. 
which was yeah. like uh, probably like two and a half, three hours in the gym. And I'd come home, uh, I'd go on the treadmill for half an hour in the morning, half an hour at night. That's, you know, an hour. And then I'd do my abdominals, which took half an hour, 40 minutes. Wow. It, it was it was too much. It was too much. But um, yeah, it was, it was a hard slog. <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing is, I mean, like you have the show, right? You obviously write articles. I mean, you have other like interests and hobbies going on. So if like you piece all of that together, I don't see how it's possible to do six days a week at the gym. And like, <laughs> listen, okay, I, that's fair. It's definitely fair. I'm just saying maybe not five to six hours a day. Right. That's not going to happen, obviously, because yeah. you need to do all these other things. You have all these, but I'm just saying like, you know, I don't want to tell, you know, somebody at home, like you can't, you can't do this or whatever. I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. I'm just saying like, I don't right. like to. Yeah, Cause my thinking is like, I have so many like different clients who like, you know, feel really badly about themselves again, going back to Instagram where they think like, Oh, I don't look like the rock or whatever. And again, I know we talked about this a million times. Who the hell looks like the rock who has like five hours a day to go train. Like it's insane. First of all, the rock doesn't have a nine to five job. He literally gets paid to look the way he does, because if he didn't, obviously he wouldn't be that, you know, kind of actor he is because most of his roles, I mean, no offense to the rock, but like most of his roles are literally due to his physique, which is great because like that's that's his shtick, right? He, he's an action star. All action stars are pretty much. I say it's the eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> and so and the thing is, like when it comes to when it comes to his lifestyle, right? None of us can have that kind of lifestyle. So when people try to measure themselves up to like I don't know some like rich person on Instagram who either does this for a living or let's say I don't know they're like a trust fund person who has like nothing going on besides the gym it just it doesn't make any sense because you're comparing apples to oranges so if you're like you want to be a bodybuilder chances are either a you're not going to have much of an education and like you know real world job or b you're not going to have much of a family life what go ahead I, know I, don't you got know, man. To say. I don't know man i don't like to say you never know because some people could get good at like two or three things uh -huh. and be really good at two or three things mm -hmm. and then yeah i agree with you like you don't have time for this other stuff but i bet you somebody could be a bodybuilder and super educated i bet you somebody could not be a bodybuilder maybe they go to the gym like let's say 30 minutes mm -hmm. a day or something like that mm -hmm. and they have time to like you know learn some shit and then do some other stuff but then, like how do you have a family with all of that so like imagine if you have three kids yeah but okay but i'm just saying <laughs> I, I, when you're talking to like everybody right. i'm just saying like that's why i'm saying like it depends <laughs> he's you know? such an idealist i don't know i'm just saying i'm just saying i don't know he got so bad for me where like i remember one year it was there uh, i think it was christmas no it wasn't christmas day it was boxing day so uh, it, we, we over here we have like a um, Christmas day meal and then we have a like a boxing day meal um and it was we visited to me it was me my ex-wife me ex one of my ex-wife's uh, relatives um and she was doing dinner for a certain time and of course food and bodybuilding go hand in hand so you know, I have to eat a specific time if it's not on the dot I kind of get agitated I get a bit irate and she was half an hour over with the cooking um asked what what time you know with the nutrients carbohydrates proteins has to be on the dot for, and that's how it got me it's, it, it was all mind games it was all I, I say bodybuilding was like 80 to 90 percent in your mind um and it got to that point where i stormed out i was so irate i was like nope i need my protein fix i, I need i need my food i need my chicken i need it now and yeah it was it got that crazy for me <laughs> I take it back. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so how did you get into bodybuilding in the first place? Um, I was playing uh, rugby. I was playing rugby league. Um, mm -hmm. 
back in, oh, wait, uh, it's probably 2005, 2006. I got injured playing rugby. Um, it was only at amateur level. Um, I wasn't professional or anything, but I got injured. So I decided to go to the gym to work on the, because I was very skinny. I was like uh, nine and a half stone. So I was on the wing. I wasn't a forward. I was on the wing. I stayed out of the contact. I just wanted to get a bit bigger. So started to go to the gym maybe once a week. That once a week became twice, three times, and so on and so on. And I just got bitten by the bodybuilding bug. It was like, no, I can see gains in the mirror. Looking in the mirror, I can see my arms getting that slightly bigger. Uh, maybe some veins popping in the shoulder. I just wanted more and more. And it got it got to that stage where, you know, actually, no, I want to do this. I want to do this serious. So I kind of dropped, dropped the rugby um, and, and be more like bodybuilding. Well, and how'd you kind of get out of it? Like what happened? What was it? Was there like a tipping point or was it just a series of things that added on and you were like, I can't do this anymore? Very know. good. Very good question. Um, it was actually depression. It got to the point where I was going in for my first competitive show. Uh, it was 2013 and it was a 16 week diet. Uh, so I started, um, I think it was the first week in ja- uh, January. Of, I think, yeah, it was the first first one or two weeks in January. And I, I give myself around about 16 weeks to prepare for this show, a local show just down the road. Um, and I was about three or four weeks out. So each week I'd drop my carbohydrate by, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 30 grams to the point where my carb, see carbohydrate is used for like um, en- energy. It's like, um, like your sugars or whatever. My carbohydrate intake was less than five grams of carbohydrate where normally you'd, if I'm training five, five hours a day, normally I'm, I need about, you know, four or 500 grams of carbohydrate. Wow. So to drop the carbohydrate and keep, keep the energy levels going. It, the two didn't, the two didn't match up. You know, I was training five to six hours a day with very, very little energy, very little sleep. Uh, I kind of got to a snapping point where I'm, I'm seeing um, it's my ex-wife at the time, now um, my wife at the time. She was eating all this this stuff, and no dis, no disrespect, she, she can eat whatever. I'd, my, I thought I was mentally more mentally strong back then, but. I, th- I, I just guess the stress, the stress of everything, the strain of the, the exercise, it just got to my mind. And I thought, no, I can't do this anymore. Just for just for a trophy, just for a plastic trophy or, or whatever. It's, it's not it's not worth my, my mental health. Um, so I just stopped there. And then literally about two or three weeks away from the, my first show, I was in the best shape of my life. But mentally, I was shattered. Yeah, man. And I think that's a form of strength there to be able to walk away when you think like you have so much in front of you. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I was, I was in the best shape of my life. Um, I, I, a, lot, a lot of my friends from the gym were saying, you're going to, you're going to smash the comps. You know, you've got a bright future ahead of you. Are you sponsored by these companies? And, but I just couldn't do it. Honestly, I couldn't do it. I, it wasn't worth me going down that road. Wow. Um, so I just, I just give it up. I just give it up. Um, and you can imagine I just had a binge of food that evening. 
It's actually kind of awesome. Wow. And you know, what's interesting, like when it comes to kind of obsessiveness, people often think like it's the obsessiveness or the kind of the drive or whatever self-discipline, right? That's the form of strength, but they actually don't understand most of the time that that strength actually comes from weakness. So a lot of the obsessiveness, like I could tell you personally, like with my sort of, and I don't work out obviously five days a week, but for me, (laughs) so he has actually a story. He told me the other day we went to the gym, actually. What did I tell you? Uh, So could you tell us about the time that you overtrained and how you felt after overtraining not overtraining you said you you were you were doing it so much that you ended up not feeling good or whatever oh man i don't even remember me telling you this seriously i'm so serious wait hold on i have to think about this okay so from what i understood Uh from the story that he told me it sounded like he was saying that oh his uh nervous system got uh over overloaded yes 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 okay now i know what you yeah yeah so there was a time where like so now what i do when i work out like i kind of go at my right the ratio right yeah so my ratio was like three to one so like for the three like difficult you know exercises or whatever things that i do i do like one thing that's kind of light so what i used to do is I would go hard. So for all three, it was like just hardcore, like we're going heavy, we're going hard, right? Um, and there came a point where I was so burned out and so exhausted, where like literally, let's say, this was back when I was still in school, um, I would come and I would like be sitting at work and literally I would have nerve pain in my arms, right? And I'm like, so I have a cup of coffee in front of me, right? So this is me. So I'm like sitting there at my desk at my internship and I'm trying to pick up the coffee and I'm as I'm getting it up, all of a sudden I, I feel like a slight shooting pain from my elbow to my fingers and I'm like, oh, and they put the cup down. Wow. And the person who's like sitting with me, she was like, are you okay? And I'm like, ah, oh, just a little bit of nerve pain. But like, literally it was so bad because my arms are like, just, um, I guess, what was it? My arms, my chest, my shoulders were just so tired and kind of so, what's the word? It was not deteriorated, but whatever, close to it. It was so debilitating that it got to the point where I realized that it wasn't worth putting in that much effort because like what happened in the long run, as I'm sure would probably happen to you too, is that like, even though you're like in the short term, you're building muscle and you're gaining a lot, you're also like losing a ton of energy and like sort of your ability to sleep has gone to shit at this point. Um, and then like, what is it? And then your muscles are always aching. Oh, and I would get nagging injuries. That's the thing that I hated the most with bodybuilding. Yeah. So when you're overdoing it, you literally start getting like these nagging injuries that end up adding up. So it goes from like a little elbow injury to like now it's a shoulder and now your back hurts and now your chest hurts. And and now you can't lift this and now you have to take a week off of that and then it's like yo this is like crazy so for me now i realize that pretty much when it comes to lifting it's not worth it you're better off doing like you know again going back to the ratio you're better off doing like some things like at a heavy like you know with a heavy weight but then for the most part like if you're looking at the long term you're really better off like just kind of cutting it down for some of the exercises that you were doing so yeah like uh determine i totally agree with that i totally agree with that because i used to get the pains as well uh, I used to get the, the like, like you say, the shooting pains. Yes. I used to get. Oh, I can relate to that. I totally relate to that. Have you, have you ever? Um. Oh my God. What was the name of that documentary? So there was this really good documentary. So Ronnie Coleman is one of them that we talked about. So like Ronnie Coleman, his body is shot, right? There was this other really good documentary. It was about this gym. Fuck, I wish I was more of like a bodybuilder to remember the name. So there's this really famous gym where pretty much like every every like like main bodybuilder from like the 70s gold and 80s. Gym. No, it wasn't gold. gold. No, I, 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 okay, no, I knew you guys were going to say gold. Gym. No, it's not gold. Gym. So there was okay. this other gym. I think it's like in Michigan or something somewhere. So whatever. So the person who runs the gym, he's like shot, right? So his body is like fucking dead. And so every single person that has ever like walked through those, like through the doors. So he's treated them all like complete shit. So what he does is he's kind of like the Bill 
Belichick of like, you know, gym owners. And like, if you like cry or complain or whatever, he's like, get the fuck out of my gym. You're wasting my time. So like all of these guys were just being like, to like, so the thing is to make the team, like, so he has like his own like bodybuilding team to make his team. You have to like day in and day out, put yourself through hell. This guy literally has like, most of his body isn't even working at this point. He's like, I sleep for like an hour at a time. So he had like some something happened like he had like they botched the surgery or something and so he actually like runs out of no he doesn't run out of breath his um I, I think like his lungs or something something happens where like his um his lungs like close up and then he eventually can't breathe so he only sleeps for one hour at a time because eventually what happens is like his pipes his windpipes end up closing and then he stops breathing and so like literally his body's just shot to hell right and he's still like going at it like a hundred percent every day he's like i don't care if i do it you do it so like all of the people there have like for i think a lot of them I don't want to say this just because I'm not 100% sure this is true, but I know a reasonable amount of them have like literally given up because they're like, yo, my body has literally gone to shit and I can't do this anymore. But the thing is, he's still running his gym and people are still like coming in every day trying to impress this guy. But the thing is, it seems like overall, yes, right? But overall, people are still going through his gym. Yeah, and I think overall, a lot of it, like, I, look, I'm sure you and I and probably even Alan, like, have the same reasons, right? We all wanted to prove ourselves. We wanted to show the world and probably ourselves, like, yes, you know, we're these great individuals that could put ourselves through hell and they can make it. And I think people are still doing that. So, yeah, there was this one point, uh, I, I, Andy, I don't think you know this about me. I used to weigh, like, 300 pounds uh, oh. or 140-something uh, kilos, something like wow. that. Okay. And yeah, so uh, then I got really into the gym. I started liking it. I started with running. I uh, started listening to music while I'm running. I'm like, oh, I really like this. If you if you start to like the song while you're running, you almost don't feel like the strain of the running. And that was like my first introduction. Start getting into it, all of that. And then at some point, I ended up losing a lot of weight, getting into the uh, best shape of my life, all of that. But then there was a point when I overdid it. I was running for... Uh, Actually, it's, it doesn't actually sound that bad now that I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> but it would be like, like, but it would be really fast, like sprinting for like, uh, like interval training, like an hour, hour, 10 minutes, something like that. Uh, I ended up like destroying, I didn't destroy my ankles, but my uh, legs did suffer from it. Then I couldn't run for a while. Um, then there were points when I would just like work out too much with weights and all that. And like it over my, um, uh, nervous system. So then like my body would start overheating at times, like it would affect its sleep, this, that, and this, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, I also tried different diets, right? Like for example, where you completely cut out carbs uh, not even, not even progressively doing it lower and lower, like how you did. I did uh -huh. like whole Turkey, which was not smart. Um, yeah. So then, uh, yeah, like, because you're not getting enough sugar, it's not good for your brain. So you're not like feeding your brain sugar. Uh, I started getting like really inflamed all over the place. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts. Like the, the termination, like the willpower that came with like, I'm going to make the decision to keep going to the gym. And like, there's like a purpose to this. It's like a mission, right? That was a very powerful thing. And like for a while, having that drive you, I think that's amazing. In fact, I think that driving you in general is a good thing. But in terms of the things that it could make you do, it could make you choose to do some really unhealthy things. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, a, you gotta, I guess, find a balance to that. But definitely that obsessive determination is an interesting thing. 
Yeah, and I, and I actually like don't really see a way for that to ever be a good thing. I mean, I could be wrong and maybe that's too black and white, but like everybody that I've ever known and myself included, that's been obsessed about anything. It's literally, even though in the short term, it's been great in the long term, like we all always burn out and we always fuck ourselves over in some like major way, whether it's like, let's say, um, I don't know if you guys ever seen um, the Twilight Zone episode of Game of Pool. No. no. Oh my God. Okay. So it's like my favorite episode ever. So it's so it's like with this guy, right? Who's like this really great pool player, right? And so he's like, you know, great on like this like corner on the street somewhere. So like in this one pool hall, literally in the middle of nowhere, people are like, oh my God, you're like so amazing, right? And then he's like, I want to be the best in the world, right? And so he spends like every day training, right? He's always like in this pool hall, getting better and kind of perfecting his craft. And so there's this other guy named Fats Brown, who at this point died like 15 years before like this show happened, right? And so Fats Brown is like, the greatest like pool player you know that neighborhood had ever seen and some even say he's like the best in the country so essentially fats brown gets end up called called up from heaven and so he's like oh uh you know the, the angel comes or something and she's like well you know this person is challenging you right she wants to he wants to see like who the best like pool player actually is and so fats brown ends up like coming down and he's like oh so uh you want to you want to fight you want to you know play me you want to fight right and the guy is like oh yes he's like i've been waiting for this moment my entire life he's like all i ever hear is fats brown this and fats brown that the greatest he's like i'm the greatest i'm the best and he's like oh really he's like okay he's like how about we do this he's like why don't we do a little wager if you lose the game you give me your life and he's like wait what no i don't want to do that and he's like oh but i thought you were the best what happened he's like you're so sure of yourself he's like that's it and he's like what if i give you money he's like think about it what's that gonna do for me up there he's like what am i gonna do with that and so he says all right fine he's like you know what i am the best and i'm gonna prove it right so they end up like going through the game and so like he, they're having this dialogue together. And so he's like, you know, he's like, I've been spending like, you know, he's like, I never go to the movies. He's like, I don't I haven't dated a girl in years. He's like, I'm here. He's like, this is all I do. And I'm going to prove to the world that I'm the best. Right. And the guys and Fats Brown is like, damn, man, he's like, really? Like, this is what your life has become. And he's like, well, yeah, he's like, that's what you have to do to be the best. Right. And he's like, no, man, no. He's like, I've lived. He's like, look, I mean, now look at, he's like, I've made love before. And he's like, I've like had like, you know, I've been with women. He's like, I've been around the world. I've traveled to like all of these different places. He's like, you can't like spend the rest of your life cooped up and buried in this dump. He's like, what are you doing to your life? And he's like, oh, I see what you're doing. He's like, these are just mind games. He's like, you're just throwing me off my game. No, no, no. He's like, when I win and I show you that i'm the best he's like you're gonna know he's like and then you're gonna know that you'll never be able to come back here again or show your face right so they're going through the game and so like fats brown ends up getting a lead and he's like look man he's like i'll tell you what he's like let's go back on our back he's like just walk away right walk away and go live your life he's like no 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 man he's like i've spent too much time on this you know like the whole like the oh, wow. yeah the fallacy of you know like the idea of a sunken cost like oh i've spent so much time on this now i have to see it through right here's the interesting thing he actually ends up winning the game and so yeah so he wins the game and he's like, I did it. He's like, I did it. Oh my God, I'm number one. I'm the best. And Fats Brown like packs up like his pool cue and he's like, okay, man. He's like, you did it. He's like, congratulations. And he's like, oh, look at you. So bitter now, right? And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, congratulations. He's like, You're the best. You did it. You won. He's like, I'm happy for you. And he's like, this doesn't make sense. Like, why aren't you more upset? He's like, what do you think heaven is like for me? And he's like, I don't know. He's like glory, fame. He's like, it's this amazing thing. He's like, no, man. He's like, I don't have a life. He's like, literally every single time like that somebody likes you has the notion of beating the great Fats Brown, I get called down here to play you, Bobs. And he's like, I'm sick of it. He's like, I literally have no life up there. So he's like, congratulations. Now this is your time. You're the one who's now going to have to spend the rest of your life proving that you're the best. I'm done. So like now it kind of like... The, oh. 
Oh, yeah, the man. camera goes up to like heaven and it shows like the table where he was pretty much residing and just like doing nothing or waiting for these people to call him. And now it's like, it's a sign and it says, Fats Brown was here, gone fishing. And that's it. Now he's happy. And he's like, you've literally released me from my chains. He's like, I'm actually happy that you won. And so he says to him, he's like, you don't get it. He's like, I was waiting for someone like you. I was waiting for somebody to actually beat me, to let me out of this fucking misery. He's like, I hate this. He's like, congratulations. It's yours now. Bye. And so literally now he gets to go live his life. And he's like, I'm done. Crazy. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. That's why. I... That's amazing. Now, what, what was he called again, Leo? It's, it's called... Yeah, so it's the Twilight Zone, the series from like, um, so they had like two, no, three, no, four incarnations. So they had one in the 60s, then they did one in the 80s, one in the early 2000s, and now there's like a new one now that's um, directed by Jordan Peele. So, but this one is from the 60s, and it's called The Game of Pool. Okay. Yeah, such a good episode. Yeah. And, and so again, going back to that obsessive drive, the idea is like, oh, you know, like if I become the best or whatever, I'm going to be happy. Like this is it. And this guy's like, no, dude, he's like, this is awful. He's like, this is literally like a form of like slavery. He's like, you're literally it. It's like, yes, you're the best, but then now you have to prove it all the time. Now you have to keep defending your title. And he's like, no, there's, there's no end to this. And literally for him in this sort of metaphor of like heaven, right? He's literally doing nothing but waiting for these challengers, these assholes who are like trying to like beat him and prove themselves. He's just waiting them for them to call. And now he's like, great, I'm done. I'm free. Bye. Good luck with this. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Damn. Well, well, no, I think you, I think hit the nail on the head yeah again um i think um you mentioned ronnie coleman right there yeah uh, looking at his body with the, the amount of dedication he's he's dedicated to bodybuilding over the years his body's shot his body's shot um yeah. and it's it's a shame i mean the bodybuilders i was looking up to back in the day when i when i was bodybuilding they, they can't walk they can't lift anything you know so that's pretty much pretty much what you've you've just been saying is i mean it's society it's, it's sad the way society is you know, I want to be the best. I want to be the best. This, that, the other. But what are you sacrificing? You know, I sacrificed quite a lot. You know, I, I sacrificed. I didn't go out. I didn't have a social life. You know, um, I was always tired. You know, working, gym, sleep. It wasn't a life. So I get, I get what you're saying. I really do. Yeah, and it's like it was the same thing. We're obviously with Ronnie Coleman too. I mean, like he was the best, I and mean, that's it. Like you did it, right? Um, look, I don't. Obviously, I don't know Ronnie Coleman personally, but I wonder. I wonder, like, if he could ever go back, like, what would he choose? And by the way, as I'm sure you guys know, some people would say, "No, I would do it the same way all over again." So for them, being the best is so important that I mean, they're like, "I don't care." Like, I don't, you know, care what the detrimental effects are. My thinking is like, I just wish when it comes to Instagram, just kind of like success in general, people just knew the whole story. Like, you know, we talked about Pac and the whole idea of like fame has this dark side. I just wish like before people made their decisions, like with football, right? Uh, if you're going to play in the NFL and you know you know about CTE. So, I mean, that's kind of your decision at this point. So I just wish people kind of knew rather than glamorize like what it would be like to be famous or what it would be like to be a success or a champion or whatever. I mean, Michael Jordan even said, he's like, yo, people don't know what my life is like. He's like, this is not like all, you know, kind of like, I don't know, rainbows and sunshines or whatever. He's like, this is hard. Most people would not want to be Michael Jordan. And I agree with that. And the problem is like, because we idealize it, we often, number one, spend a lot of time like sort of fighting for and wishing for something that's not as great as we think it is. And then the other thing is when we don't have it, we feel like shit about ourselves because it's black and white. It's my life is shit. This life is amazing. I now have to find a way to get here because if I don't, I'm going to continue to feel like shit for the rest of my life, even though the life over here isn't that amazing to begin with. So, I mean, 
yeah you, you learn some lessons though um i mean like mu for example he he learned so many things from like he had all the money he had the girls he had uh, a nice home um and like he saw that's that's not what that's not like even when he got everything he wanted that was actually the thing that uh made things worse for him right like i forgot what that saying is it's like um desire, like something about desire like if you want uh you could have everything you could okay i forgot what it is it's like uh one problem with wanting something is like you could not have what you want yes. and the other problem is you oh, could that's get an oscar you that's an oscar wilde quote yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, it's yeah. um there are two tragedies in life Thank not you. getting your heart desires and uh, getting your heart's desire yeah, perfect yeah, yeah. Right, okay right. yeah yeah so pretty much like even if you get it right then there's still like there's something in you that still needs something like that drive to be yeah. the best or 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 to have more and, and to then, maintain it and to maintain it right so but what's cool is about um uh, uh mu uh, about napoleon is that he you know it took it took a lot but he ended up seeing like what was wrong with that with that lifestyle yeah and he ended up still like uh being able to retain being uh famous and having many things that that he, he wanted um but then still keep kind of like meaning in his life yeah. right and to be able to I mean, here's the thing, not everybody who becomes famous learns a lesson, right? right? About, you know, oh, fame sucks, all that. Some people just go through the the tragedy of it. And then it's just like, they become like a cautionary tale. Yeah. But that's why like somebody like Mu is is inspirational, right? Because he could show you that like, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe you could try to go for that kind of life. But then at the same time, it's like, you have to prepare for, you know, what comes with it. And then what you'd have to learn to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And so Andy, when you walked away from bodybuilding, did you have any regrets initially? No. Not initially, no. Mm -hmm. Um not initially. I mean, even now I don't to be to be fair. Um no I, looking stepping back and looking at a big picture. I mean, I've got the pictures, I've got the videos, you know, me in the gym lifting some insane amount um amount of weight. Uh I've got I went from being the weakest to being the strongest in the gym or one of the strongest in the in the in the gym. Nice. Um, but I mean, I've got them pictures to look back on to show my kids when they grow up. Um, I mean, to be proud, I guess. Uh, but regret? Um, no, I, I, I really don't. I mean, I, I, life's more important than than being vain. I was called vain. I don't know how many. <laughs> don't know how many. If I had a penny or a dollar um, for the amount of times I've been called vain. You know, looking in the mirror and this, that, and the other. But. I'd be a very rich person, um, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't have any regrets or anything like that. And, and even, even when I come away from bodybuilding, the first few months, I just wanted to get my my mind, um, my mind where where it needed to be at, and, and taking a step back from from being in the gym six days a week, is more to life than than, than that. And being like the the term you used, being in, enslaved. Um, I, I, I have the feeling where initially I have the feeling where um, I was let go. The chains were, were, were kind of took off because I didn't have to do, you know, my five hours training. I didn't have to eat the seven or eight solid meals a day. I didn't have to have the five protein shakes. Right. Seven, you know, this is happening six, seven days a week. You know, there was no day off. There was no time for myself, no time, you know, no quality time with, with, for, for anything other than the gym. So 
Um, no, no regrets, no regrets at all. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I did it, but no, no, um, no regrets coming away from bodybuilding anyway. Yeah, you're like one of the few people who can actually walk away from something like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I did. I know, I know a, a few personal, uh, on a personal level, I know a few people who's took their own lives uh, dieting for bodybuilding shows wow. um, and made themselves seriously ill, you know, with the dieting side and, and maybe they're using performance-enhancing drugs and they've, they've, they've had an accident doing doing something with that or they've took it a step further where, you know, professional bodybuilding, it's, um, it's mostly about the drugs, really. I mean, if, you, if you're not on certain types of steroids or insulin growth hormone you're not gonna you know you're not gonna make it on the on the on the world stage um and i, I kind of looked at that i kind of thought you know at the amateur level i mean it goes on at the amateur level but it, it's like tenfold when it comes to professional bodybuilding you know yeah. is it worth risking you know taking the insulin taking the growth hormone risking you know death i didn't think so so i just i just took a step back and walked away. Wow. Do you feel like um, the doing the Heart of an Outlaw show and, and working with O4L kind of, not not replaced, but it, it it's something else that's like giving a lot of meaning to like the, uh, to something that you're, to you're doing? Most definitely, most definitely. I mean, this has brought, I mean, um, about a year, about a year and a half after I finished my bodybuilding, I met, I met my uh, my wife. Um, I was depressed. Well, just just be, just before I'd, I was single, um, I wasn't looking for anything. I just wanted to get my mind straight. Um, and I was actually suicidal a few months before um, I met my wife, Liz. Um, I just wanted to take my life because my just my mind was just just everywhere. Um, I didn't want to live. Um, whether that be because my breakup with my um, my, my ex-wife or with bodybuilding days, um, I, d I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I just went through a period of my life where I'd, I'd, I didn't want to live. Um, I think I actually wrote an article about it. I think earlier on this year, I, I, I didn't go into too much detail, but yeah, I was suicidal, um, and it was kind of a void in my life where you know, I had been bodybuilding for over a decade of my life, where I dedicated that time um, to go in the gym, eating, um, you know, training or what have you, you know, for the ultimate goal of where I want to step on stage, you know, win trophies, do this as a potential, you know, living potentially. Um, so it was that kind of obsessive. It was, um, it got to an obsessive point where all that had gone and it was avoiding my life. So, you know, fast forward, I, I meet my wife and my first born child comes along. Um, and then obviously the, uh, I responded to the, the, um, the, the status from, of the, on the outlaw site for the O4L online. And um, I, I've, I've never looked back. It's gone, it's gone from, from, from here to, it's, it's, got, it's got better and better. So yeah, I, 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 definitely, I definitely think it's um, um, kind of not replaced it, but there's a there's a drive there that there's something that I, I believe in. You know, I love hip hop. Uh, I love writing the articles. And you know, now with my with my with my show, the Heart of an Outlaw show. You know, I'm I'm, I'm so I'm so uh, excited for the future, the, for the future, the side for the future of your your podcast, for the future of my show. Uh, the future looks really bright for the for the for the site. And um, 
I, I just really honoured to, uh, to to be part of the team and to to be doing this. That's something that I love. Absolutely, man. That's so yeah, we, such a great point, I think, to end off. Yeah, sure. All right, Andy, dude, this was so awesome, man. Hell yeah, man. And uh, I was wondering uh, if we wanted to uh, follow you on on social media, uh, where where could we follow you? Yes, plug all of them. Oh wow, okay. Uh, so <laughs> so it's uh, Twitter. You got a uh, Twitter uh, forward slash. You got H O A O show. Uh, it's Heart of an Arlo show. Um, you got Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Heart of an Arlo show. Uh, then I've got my um, my Andy O4L page, which is facebook.com forward slash Andy O4L. Um, and then, it, of course, you've got the O4L online network. Um, follow them on, on, on social media and follow yourselves. <laughs> and then Instagram, too. What's your Instagram, Andy? It's uh, Andy O4L on Instagram. Okay. And the heart of an outlaw is the same thing, right? It's HOA show. Uh, it's, uh, if you type in there, half an outlaw show, it will come up for sure. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Cool. All right, Andy. Thank you so much for coming so on. Much, this man. was really awesome. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thank Absolutely, you. Man. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Take care. You too. Take care. <laughs> okay. That was awesome. That was one of the funnest shows that we've done. <laughs> All right, guys. So if you want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Seize underscore podcast on Facebook. I mean, well, haha, on Twitter, Seize underscore podcast. Mm -hmm like subscribe hit, hit the, the bell. bell yeah so then you can also find us at the o4l online network at o4l online network.com under the stm podcast section up top that's right and guys thanks again so much for watching next week we have a special guest we have sheldon solomon oh he's gonna be amazing looking forward to that so again thanks for watching and see you next time <laughs>